good morning. Welcome to Robinson Avenue Baptist Church. This is the day the Lord has made. We should rejoice and be glad in it. I'd like to welcome each and every one of you. hope that you all had a wonderful and amazing and blessed Christmas. And I'd like to pray here in just a minute and ask God to give you a wonderful and blessed 2021. Amen. We need that. Amen. <laughs> and so, uh, as, with that being said, I do have a few announcements I'd like to share with you. Uh, number one, first I want to remind you that tonight at 6 o'clock, not 6.30, but at 6 o'clock, we'll be having a special called business meeting. So keep that in prayer and keep it on your mind. Uh, Wednesday night, uh, Bible study will be at 6.30, so we'll not be having a cantata, but we will be having Wednesday night Bible study at 6.30, so come and be a part of that. And let me tell you, you don't want to miss that Bible study. All right, with that being said, we have some upcoming events that I'm very excited about. Come up January 24th, the Gideons International will be in to present to us. We'll be in prayer about that. And also coming up Saturday, January 30th, Robinson Avenue will host the Southern Baptist of Central Texas annual meeting. So keep those things in prayer. Uh, also, today will be the last day of our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So thank you for your support and your prayers in that. This will be the last day to give toward that. So if God is leading you to give toward that, now is the final time to do that. Uh, a lot of folks ask me, say, Pastor, what exactly is the Lottie Moon Christmas offering? Well, it's an offering that supports our foreign missionaries. So every penny of this offering goes directly to foreign missionaries. That goes to Iran, to Iraq, to anywhere we have a foreign missionary in the world. Even Colleen, amen? So, <laughs> keep those things in prayer and keep those things in mind. And uh, remember what Father God is doing with our foreign missionaries. All right. With that being said, we have a lot of folks that are out traveling. We have some, a few out sick, so keep them in prayer. Keep them in your thoughts. And let's go right now and talk to Father God about this. Dear Lord Jesus, we come to you now in your holy and righteous name. We want to thank you for the opportunity to gather in your house. It is so good to be back in your house, Lord. And I'm asking you to reach out and touch us. Go with us now in our time of worship. May we worship you in peace and spirit. And Lord God, we have several family members that are out traveling, and several, Lord, that are uh, caught up in other things, and a few, Lord, that are, that are sick. And I'm praying, Father God, you reach out and touch those, Lord. And let them know that we love them. We're praying for each and every one of them. Praying on safely back to us, Lord. And I just pray, Lord God, that this would be a short time and that they would be back quickly with you, with your family, Lord, here at your house. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for uh, being with us this morning. Go with us now that your name will be glorified and magnified. For we give you the praise, the honor, and glory, even now, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Brother Mark?
this is a wonderful time to be back in the house of the Lord. Amen? And I'm telling you right now, how do you top that? <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, thank you, Brother Mark. Thank you, Brother Glenn. And thank you all for worshiping with us. Uh, if you would, turn with me, please, in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And we're going to have a little bit of a journey this morning. And I want you to join with me in your mind's eye and in your heart's uh, path, if you will. And let's have a, a walk down memory lane. Let's have a walk down uh, what it might have felt like to be in Mary and Joseph's shoes. Now, I don't know about you, but I had a, a wonderful Christmas. And so uh, what made it so wonderful is we believe that Father God protected our son. And yes, we are beyond thankful. And thank each and every one of you for your prayers in that. And uh, blessed be the name of the Lord for that. So thank you, Lord Jesus, taking care of our son. We, we believe without a doubt an angel uh, reached out and, and helped Joyce. Um, so we, I was really touched as God brought this sermon to my heart this week. Um, he brought it to me well before what happened to Jordan. But when it happened to Jordan, this is all that I could think of. <laughs> so uh, I, I love how God speaks and I love how God confirms things. Uh, I just wish it wasn't confirmed so dramatically this time, you know. But uh, here, if you will, look with me in Luke chapter 2. And you know what? Before we begin, I do want to bring one more correction on the announcements. If you, if you have your bulletin, you'll see that uh, we are actually taking uh, some raffle tickets for the baskets that are out front. And those baskets originally were for our cookie exchange. Of course, that got canceled uh, due to um, unforeseen circumstances. And that's going to be picked back up in February for Valentine's Day is the next thought, next plan on that. And I think that's wonderful. But those baskets are, uh, you, you buy a raffle ticket, and they are uh, one, one, a dollar a piece or five for six. No? So it's correct in the bulletin. All right. So that makes them $2 a piece and three for five. Well, amen. Hallelujah. So I got something right this week. So, uh, me and, and let me tell you, me and Brother Frank have been uh, working very hard to get the office up and running, and I just could not have made it without Brother Frank Knight. Thank you, Brother Frank. God bless your heart and what you've done with me. And thank you, DJ, for correcting me on that. I really appreciate that. All right. Uh, Luke chapter 2. Let's, let's go ahead. We have a few verses to read. So, most of those scripts are on our PowerPoint. So, but uh, I, I do want you to, to, to worship with me this morning. Look with me in Luke chapter 2. Starting in verse 41, the Bible says, His parents, that being Jesus, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. Now, I know, church, that I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Most of the time, the Sunday after Christmas, we talk about Simeon and Anna and what happens the eighth day after Jesus' birthday and things like that. I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but I spent time uh, talking about Mary and I spent time talking about Joseph. And now I want to talk about the family unit. Together. And so that's where my heart was this week. What a Christian family looks like. And God kept expanding that and expanding that as we looked into it and as we prayed about that. So starting at verse 41, the Bible says, His parents, Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when He was 12 years old, now if you have a old King James Version, not a new King James, isn't that, a, isn't that weird? we got to now say old King James. If you have an old King James Version, it'll say fully 12. If you have a New American Standard or something of that nature, it'll say when he was fully 12. And the idea there is it is right on his 13th birthday, right in that area right there, when he was 12 years old or a few months before or a few months after. It's in that area. When he's fully 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. Just for clarification, it was common for Jews to go in a pilgrimage, if you will, to Jerusalem. And they would go in a whole convoy uh, of people. And Jesus would, being a small boy, hang out with his friends here, hang out with his friends there. He might stay the night with Aunt Phil. He might hang out with Uncle Bill. Who knows who he's with? And the mom and dad assumed that Jesus was with family. And of course, as they were leaving, they probably saw Jesus and thought, well, Jesus is hanging out with little cousin Johnny over here. And so uh, that's what happens here. They suppose him to be with the family. So take a look with me in verse 45. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, 
sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Can we go to the Lord in prayer? Father God, we come to you now in Jesus' name, thanking you for the opportunity to look into your word. And Lord, as we read and study it, and as we expand upon it, I pray, Lord, you'd edify us, that you'd equip us and encourage us, Father God. And if there be anybody here that needs to come to know you as personal Lord and Savior, would you let today be that day, Father? If there be anybody here that needs to repent and get their Christian walk back with you, would you let today be that day? We give you the praise, honor, and glory, even now, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right. So, I don't really like church allegory. I don't use a lot of allegory in my preaching, but today I'm going to use a little bit of it. So, I want you to bear with me as we go into allegory. Uh, as, as I said earlier, we spent some time preaching on what Mary pondered in her heart. And we took a look a little bit into Mary's character. And then the week after, we looked deeply into Joseph's character, what it must have been like to be the one God chose to raise the son of of God. Well, today let's look at Jesus' family, Mary and Joseph as a family unit, and Jesus together in them. So let's take a look at what happens right there. So uh, let's do an allegory kind of look, an allegorical look, and let's take a look at three different perspectives, if you will, of this wonderful family. We'll look at them in three different ways. Number one, we're going to look at them as a Christian family as a Christian family. In fact, I don't know how much more Christian you can get than having Jesus living in your house. Somebody say amen. Two, we will take a look at this family as a picture of an individual believer. Because believe it or not, we all have some of those aspects. As a father to our family, as a prophet, a priest, as a king, if you will, to our family, we also, everyone as an individual believer, takes on a feminine role as well because we are the bride of Christ. Amen? And so we also pick up uh, part of that in, in that Christian family where children being raised by God. And so we can see that there. And we'll take a look at our third part there as the family represents the church. The church as a whole. Like I said, it's allegorical, so go with me in there. Okay, so let's look at our, our first allegorical picture this morning. Let's look at that Christian family. Let's take a look at mom. And dad. So back up with me in your scriptures here to verse 41. The Bible says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. I love that statement. That statement is there on purpose, and that statement is there to get you to learn, and that statement is there to teach you, to encourage you, to edify you, to equip you, to evangelize you, and to also remind moms and dads that there are things we're supposed to be doing every year. And you know what the biggest thing that Christian families don't do? Are you ready for this? One of the things we don't do is we don't carry on with the tradition of going to church. Somebody say amen. We make church a last-minute thought. In fact, anything in the world can take the place of church. Anything in the world comes up to cancel church, especially in the year 2020. It's too cold outside. It's too hot outside. It's too rainy outside. It's too dark outside. But I want you to know, verse 41 says, every year they went. It was a tradition they would not cancel. And church is supposed to be that important in a Christian family's life. Can I get an amen this morning? We're supposed to be living it like that with our children. If we're going to be the Christian family that's pictured here, we need to be ones that say, family, we're going to church. Dad, you need to step up and say, we're going to church. Mom, you need to step up and say, we're going to church. Kids, you need to step up to mom and dad and say, let's go to church. Now do it while honoring mom and dad. Oh, amen? Think about that for a second. What kind of picture do we see in this family? What kind of picture do we see there as a Christian family? I want you to put yourself in Joseph and Mary's shoes that morning. They went to the Passover, and Passover was an eight-day feast because it's combined with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, if you remember the Scriptures correctly. And so, as they are worshiping, as they are going through the Passover, which is really, really neat, hopefully God will give me the opportunity to do Christ in the Passover with you this up, upcoming year in 2021. It's an eight-day celebration. It must have been a Baptist thing because there was plenty of food. Amen? 
There was plenty of eating. There was plenty of food. There was plenty of fun. But there was also plenty of reverence and worship. And so it was through eight days. There was family. There was friends. And there was a celebration. It was much like an American Thanksgiving. Except for no turkey. Amen. It was lamb. If you ever had lamb, that's really good eating. Amen. Some of you say amen. Some of you are like, I ain't eating that, Josh. I'm not going to do it. I'm telling you, it tastes just like chicken. All right. <laughs> Somebody said, no, it doesn't. <laughs> well, I can't argue with that, you know. So, <laughs> anyways, here we have this wonderful family. They've been eight days in Jerusalem. They trust Jesus to be with them. Because, by the way, Jesus also has to be the perfect kid. Somebody say amen. That means he never disobeyed mom and dad. He never lied. It, wouldn't that be wonderful, mom and dad, if you had a kid that never lied at all? I don't know about you, but that's a blessing right there. You know, Mary and Joseph would also say, I'm going to ask your brother Jesus. He'll tell us the truth. And the other brothers were like, man, <laughs> put yourself in those shoes for a minute. Jesus always told the truth. Jesus never lied. Cause why? Because he could never sin. Never could sin. He had to be perfect the entire time. And he was. In church, they had no doubt that Jesus was with them. They said, man, Jesus is going to take care of himself. Jesus is going to do the right thing. They had every, every reason to believe Jesus was with the convoy on the way back to wherever they were coming from. Do I have an idea where they might be from? They might be at Nazareth at this time. The Bible doesn't necessarily tell us. That's why I think they are. They're on their way back to Nazareth, which is a pretty good journey. And on the way back there, one day, or one, let's say they're a day out, and Mary and Joseph say, where is Jesus? I haven't seen him. I haven't heard him laugh. I haven't seen him going running by. I haven't heard anything. So they start at the next tent, the next tent, the next tent. They go all the way back to the next uh, caravan of donkeys or camels or whatever they're traveling on. They, this was a long time before uh, BMWs and Chevrolets. So they're on horses and camels and donkeys and all of them are just walking. And so they're going from family group to family group. Hey, you might see Jesus. Could you imagine what's happening there? I, I thought I saw him with Uncle Bill. I thought I saw him with Cousin Johnny. I saw him, I, I thought I saw him with Aunt Phil. I thought I saw him with Aunt Cassie. And they go and they go and they go to every family group until they eventually reach every family member in the caravan. And Jesus is not there. Could you imagine what that felt like? Some of you can know exactly what Mary and Joseph felt then. Out of a sudden, the fear. Let me, let me tell you, I believe that Mary and Joseph know what's going to happen. And already, they're beginning to think, is it happening now? Is it starting now? Is now the time that He's going to be suffering for us? I'm not ready to give Him up yet. I'm not ready to let Him go yet. And that's a problem. Church, they immediately turn around and go to Jerusalem. And they get back in Jerusalem. They go, I know what I think, they go to the very first place they can think of, the temple. I don't know about you, but if I had free reign in the city at, a, at, at 12 or 13 years old, I'd be in the nearest toy store. Don't tell her where I'd be, because I'm a Baptist. I might be in the nearest pizza parlor. Amen? No! <laughs> straight church. Straight church. And the Bible tells us they bust in and they find Jesus astonishing and speechless. Now, Long time, a lot of times we wrongfully interpret that as Jesus is speaking and speaking, which I think he is doing a little bit there. But he is astounding them with his answers. In other words, they're questioning him, and he's answering. And now it's no longer a student questioning the teachers. It's now the teachers questioning the student, and it, the roles have reversed. I remember the first time that it would happen to me in my ministry when my old pastor would call me and say, Joshua, what does this mean? And the role had reversed. And here we have the teacher teaching his disciples. What's more is they had a hard time accepting Jesus, as you know. So let's see what happens here. Look with me in verse 44. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple. Now, we know the relativity of three. We often know that number three, what has to do with the things of God. We immediately go in our minds to three days, right, in the grave, right? 
we go right there. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And the Bible says, and all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. This is mom and dad now. Amazed at his astonished doing. Why are they amazed? They, they're, they're watching Jesus grow up. They've seen Jesus' understanding, wisdom, the grace, the favor, the elegance, the wisdom. You know, the Bible says that never a man spake like Jesus. Why is that? Well, maybe I'll see this. Never a man lived like Jesus. Amen? Never a man lived like it. Right? They sent him out to arrest Jesus, and they come back and they said, Never has anyone had an authority like Jesus. The Bible says, Mary and Joseph, here in verse 48, are amazed. They're amazed this time. Not his authority, not his honesty, not his willingness, not his honor. No, no, no. They're amazed because he's teaching. They're amazed because he's understanding. And they are flabbergasted. And the only thing that comes out of Mary's mouth is, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Now, I want you to jump ahead with me. So about 20 years from this time. You are an old, rugged cross where the disciples are fleeing away and nobody's left there. So Jesus dies. And a teacher named Nicodemus, right? And a teacher named Joseph of Arimathea takes his body from the cross buried him in Joseph's tomb. Borrowed from him. Why was it borrowed? Because he wasn't going to need it very long. Amen? Ah, well, this isn't resurrection day. This is Christmas, right? And I want you to understand something. What must have rung through Mary's ears because she pondered all those things in her heart. Could you imagine as she was sitting there praying, Father God, why is he gone? Why is he dead? Could you imagine the memory that came back to her heart? Mom, don't you know I must be about my father's business? You're going to find me after three days. Oh my God, I get excited when I think about things like that. I don't really like allegories. But I love the picture of the Christian family. Mom and dad looking for their son. Looking for him. And they don't know where he is. And when they find him, he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't sting them. No, no, no. He himself is astonished, saying, Why did you not know? I must do what my father is telling me to do. And church, when he's dead and in the ground and he comes back, I can imagine what he's thinking. Why did you not know that I must be about my father's business? You imagine Mary and Joseph. They thought, where's my son? Where's my son? Where's my son? And you might be thinking that right now. Out here in the pews, or perhaps listening to our live stream service. Where's my son? Where's my daughter? I have a message for you this morning. I have a biblical truth for you this morning. You need to take it to the bank because God said it. You need to hang your hat on it. You can stand on it. When the rest of this world starts falling down, God's Word will stand forever. You can trust it. You can believe it. And I can tell you right now, it will not come back void. Here is my message to you. It comes out of Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Train a child up in the way he should go. And when he's older, he will not depart from it. Though you might go looking for him for a time. You might be on your knees praying for him for years. Father, bring my child back. My message to you is don't ever quit. Don't ever give up. Keep on keeping on praying for your son, your daughter, loving him. Don't ever give up on him. Because with God, all things are... Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is a picture of the Christian family we're seeing. Could you imagine, Mary and Joseph, could you imagine the prayers that went up? Father God, where's your son? Where's your son? And they bust in the temple and Jesus is like, let me answer your prayer. Didn't you know I'm right where my daddy is? I love allegory a little bit. 
Think about that for a second. How did you not know I'm not going to be where my father is? <laughs> my goodness. If that's our first picture, just imagine what our second picture is going to look like. Mom and Dad, how did you not know that I'll be where my father is watching? In fact, that's the, that's the number one of philosophy. That's the rule of thumb for Jesus' ministry, isn't it? My father's working, therefore I'm working. Whatever my father's told me to do, I'm going to do. Whatever my father's doing, I'm going to be doing. I always do those things which please my father. Never anything else. So he was surprised when Mary and Joseph bust in. He was like, should you not know this? We've been over this a couple of times, Mom and Dad. (laughs) Some of us are that way right now. We think we can't find our children. We think they're lost. We think they're running down the road with relatives and things like that. Let me tell you right now, don't you give up on your child. Don't you give up on your daughter. Don't you give up on your son. Don't you give up on your grandchild. Don't you give up on them. You keep praying because when you find them, you're going to find out they're with God right there. You know what else the picture is? They had to go to church to find them. Go like this, family. Amen or me. We think we could do it by ourselves at our house, right? No, 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 no. They thought they could do it with families and friends and Aunt Phil's and Uncle Bill's. No, no, no. They had to go back to the people of God to find where Jesus was. And you need to get back, Christian family, to the people of God so that your child will come back to the people of God. Amen? It's time for us to do that. Let's look at our second picture here. So if Jesus' family was a picture of a Christian family today, what's the second picture there? As an individual believer, oh, I love this right here. Like I said, each and every one of us have characteristics of Mary and Joseph and even Jesus. We do. We have all those things. We're a father. We're the, the husband of the house. We're the prophet. We're the priest. We're the king. We're the provider. We're the protector. We're all those things that God has called us to be. We are to raise our children. We are to love our children. We're to love our wives as ourselves. That's hard to do, isn't it? I noticed women said that guys were real quiet. But we're to love our women like we love ourselves. You, let me just be honest with you. If the church will grab a hold of that truth, love your wife as Christ loved the church, then I can tell you right now, radical feminism would die tomorrow. If we would love our wives like Christ loved the church, then that feminist movement will die. You better believe it will. You better believe it will. Let's look at our second point right here. An individual believer. I want you to think about what this picture is. We have Mary and Joseph leaving Jerusalem after the Passover. And as they were leaving, they thought that Jesus was with them. Here's the picture I have for you this morning. How many of us have walked away from the church? How many of us have left the church because we're mad at the church? We're mad at somebody in that church. Somebody hurt our feelings. We thank God is with us. How many of us have been there today? How many of us are there right now? We thank God is with us. I want you to know something. God is still back in church. How many of us have left out there? We begin crying out, where's God? In our individual lives, we left because our feelings got hurt. We left because we got disrespected. Well, i got news for you, individual Christians. It's not about your respect. It's not about your dignity. It's about Him and His name to be glorified. And it's time for all of us to come back to God's house and to find out that Jesus is teaching the teacher. Somebody say amen. It's time. Yeah, go ahead and give him a hand clap. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's time for each and every one of us to come back home. I can imagine what that family was like. I can imagine what that individual believer was like as he left church because he thought God was with him. And as he left, he realized a couple of days later that God wasn't with him. You know what's really scary? It took him several days to figure out God wasn't with him. How many of us Christians have, have come back home to realize God's not with us? You said, wait a minute, God never leaves me nor forsake me. You're absolutely right. God will never leave you nor forsake you. But you can sure walk off the path God has for you. You can sure get out of God's will. You can sure get out of God's plan. And you'll find yourself feeling all alone. And you are going to realize that God is waiting there at church all for you, saying the same thing Jesus said. 
Don't you know I gotta be about my father's business? Not your business, my father's business. And you need to come back to my father's house where his business is happening. Amen? It's time for God's children to come back home. For far too long we've been out in the world acting like it's all about us when really it's all about Him. And we need to come home and do His business. So if we see in this family a picture of a Christian family, and we see in this family a picture of an individual believer finally realizing, hey, Jesus isn't with me. Perhaps it's time for you to start coming back to church. Perhaps this is one of those days you say, man, I'm coming back to church. It's a Sunday after Christmas, and I want to go to church. And Brother Josh, you're reading my mail. Well, thank God. Somebody needs to read it because you've been absent for a long time. It's time for you to come home. It's time for you to get it right. It's time for you to walk in and let Jesus say, don't you know I need to be about my father's business? In fact, I want to give you some scriptures in there. Are you ready for this right here? Some of my favorite ones right here. Amos 3 and verse 3. You know what that Bible says there? Amos 3, 3. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? So you're walking your own way, and God's still at church saying, I'm waiting for you to come home. Jesus is still at church saying, I'm waiting for you to come home. I know where you are, and I know where you're going. The problem is, believer, you don't know where I am because you walked away. You left. I'm right here waiting for you. What about Hebrews 10.25? We forget about that all the time. What does Hebrews 10.25 say? It says, forsake not the fellowshipping and the assembling together of God's church. Time for us to come back home. Time for us to get back to church. You say, well, wait a minute. I want God to be with me forever. I, I want you to know that Jesus was there in the temple waiting for his mom and dad to come back. And if Jesus did that then, he's doing it right now. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me that. Where does the Bible say that? Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's waiting for you. Let's look at our third picture this morning. If this family represents a Christian family, and if this family represents an individual believer, then this family should also represent a church. A church. And in that church role, you will find that we have shepherds. Those are pastors. You will find that we have priests. We have prophets. In fact, if you were to put the allegory up as we are the body of Christ, and some of us are fingers, some of us are toes. Guess what body part I am? I'm a mouth. Amen? <laughs> no doubt about it. Some of us are ears. Some of us are eyes. Some of us are some of the most important body parts that never get seen. You say, wait a minute. I, you know, if I could trade my calling for anything, you know what I would love to be? A music minister. To lead the church into worship. What an amazing thing that would be. To lead the church into worship. To be able to, to help their hearts be prepared for what God is going to say to them. If I could trade my calling for anything in the world, that's what it would be. What a joy, what a privilege, what a responsibility to be able to lead the congregation in worship. How many of you know that's what the devil used to do before he fell? He led them in worship, and like a lot of music ministers, he fell to that. You can't do it without me. I'm the one you're really worshiping. That's right. The real music ministers keep the praise on God. Real ministers keep the worship and the focus on God. And now you know why Paul says to young Timothy, when you're ordaining people, when you're making ministers, don't make them a brand new Christian because he will fall into condemnation of the devil. That's what he's talking about. He will get the mindset that says, you can't have church without me. Wrong. Wrong. God can use a donkey. Someone say man. <laughs> God can speak through the clouds. He sure can. He doesn't need any of us. He can do it anywhere, anytime, anyplace, anyhow. So if this family represents a church, then let's get into what we really what we really started for this morning. So we broke down into our allegory. I want to show you something right here. So we have Mary and Joseph coming together to look for Jesus. That's allegory, mind you, so don't get too mad at me at the end. So it's allegory. So we have Mary and Joseph looking for Jesus. That means they had to agree to go looking for Jesus. And how many of you know? That if this is a picture of a church, then 
churches need to come together and agree on what we're supposed to be doing. Somebody say amen. We need to come together and agree on what our mission is. We need to come together and agree on what God has called us to do. And I believe with all my heart that Father God has called Robinson Avenue Baptist Church to seek and to save the lost here in Copper's Coast. We got people who are dying in their sins. We got people who are caught up in drug abuse. We got people who have no hope whatsoever. And we've got the answer, Jesus Christ. And I believe Father God is calling us to evangelize them, to missionize them, to show them the truth, to bring them the great light, to give them the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm excited about that. There are people out there who need Jesus. And that means we got a job to do. That means we need to hear what Jesus is saying. Don't you know? I'm about my Father's business. If this family represents the church, then we need to look at what we can learn from Mary and Joseph. Going together to find Jesus. They were a church united. Let me tell you, a united church is really, really hard to conquer. In fact, the Bible says the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Amen. You can't beat it. A united church agrees on what Father God's calling it to do. So look with me in Matthew 18, verse 20. What does the Bible say there? Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. If you will pray and agree on it, then I will grant it for you. And it's high time the church come together and be united. So that's a picture of a united church. But what happens when a church gets united? When a church gets united, then something amazing happens. It's, it's, an, it's a Christian effect that most of us miss because it's so hard to get churches to unite nowadays. You know, the first church I ever pastored actually split over replacing a toilet bowl? You talk about flushing it down the drain. <laughs> they actually did. I'd been there maybe a month. We had our business meeting, and they actually had a split over replacing a 100-year-old toilet. It really wasn't 100, but it was about 80 years old. And so they actually split over. You folks, you say, I want to know the story. Now is not the time for that story. <laughs> no. Actually, lost about six church members. I called them up, talked with them, prayed with them, preached with them, went out and visited them. And every one of them said, Pastor, it's not you and there's nothing I can do about it. But I can't go back unless we have a brand new toilet. And I thought, my goodness. So I went to those who said, no, new toilet. say, why can't we have a new toilet? We got the money in the bank. And they said, no, we can't waste the money on a brand new toilet. And I just heard the flush, flush, flush. Amen. No wonder God sent me here. No wonder. And let me tell you something. That happens to a lot of churches. Churches fight over silly things like carpet color, like church colors, or the curtains. Whether or not you can put things on the wall in church services. I'm not kidding you. Fight over those things. Let me tell you who that, you know who that is? That's the devil. Amen? Don't let the devil do those things to you. Don't let the devil do those things to Robinson Avenue Baptist Church. If this is a picture of the church, we need to be a united church. And a united church gets together and they find themselves ignited. A united church becomes ignited. Let me tell you, Mary and Joseph were ignited enough to bust in to where they were teaching. That takes some nerve, amen? And kick, kick right in the door and say, I'm looking for my son. Only a mama could do that. Somebody say amen. Only a mother could do that, but she did. That's because she was on fire. A church that gets united finds itself ignited. Do you remember what happened at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? They were all together, the Bible says, in one accord. And the Bible tells us tongues of fire came down on their head. Why? Because they were ignited, because they were united. And it's high time for God's church throughout this land, throughout this United States, to become ignited again. We have lost our passion. We've lost our flame because we are no longer united on anything. We can't agree what color the sky is anymore. And it's high time we come back together as a united body of Christ. We will find ourselves ignited, full of passion, full of fire, and have plenty, plenty, plenty of things to say to a lost and dying world. Time for the church to become united and they'll find themselves ignited. When we're ignited, we have a passion. You ever heard that old phrase before, the passion of Christ? It's always about that passion. Passion, we always talk about being, oh, it's something that, that he needed to do. No, 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 passion. When you have a passion, it's something that you are longing to do. It's something you are longing 
to be a part of. But you understand what's going on in Jesus' life during that Passion Week. He's falling. He's going through the vow of the Lord stuff. And church, he's crawling because it's his passion to get to that cross. He didn't just willingly. He wanted to die for you and me because it was his passion. And the church needs to have a passion again for the lost. We need to have a passion again for those dying in their sins. We need to have a passion for those that have no Hope because we have Jesus Christ. And if we want to be like Jesus, then we will find ourselves united. And we will find ourselves ignited when we come back to Him. You know what happens when a church gets ignited? You say, well, they burn up, Brother Josh. Wrong. They get united. They find themselves ignited. And then we'll find ourselves excited. And you might be a short, fat preacher up here in the pulpit. (laughs) You'll find yourself excited. You'll find yourself excited. When the church is united, it becomes ignited. And when it's ignited, it gets excited. What does the church do when it's excited? It evangelizes. I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 1. I want to share with you something really neat. Something neat. I want you to know there's absolutely positively no useless words in your Bible. Everything there is there for a purpose. and Everything has something to learn. Everything has something to read. Everything has something that's built to edify you, to equip you, to encourage you, and to show you the way, to instruct you. Look with me in Luke, uh, excuse me, uh, the Gospel, the book of Acts, chapter 1. I want to share with you something neat. As you know, Luke wrote the book of Acts. As he starts his Gospel, Luke, he, he writes it to a man named Theophilus. What does Theophilus mean? It means lover of God. And so there's a whole school of thought that says, well, he's not writing to one person. He's writing to anybody who loves God. And that's okay if you want to think that. That is not in debate. Let's take a look here in Acts chapter 1. And look at what, what Luke says here. He says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. All those things he began to do and to teach. If the church gets excited, that it's going to start doing what Jesus did. It's going to start teaching what Jesus taught. In fact, Jesus says in John 14, verse 12, He says, you are going to do greater things than I did because I'm going unto my Father. And it's time for the church to have a passion like I had a passion. You need to get on fire for the lost. You need to get united so you can get excited. And when you get excited, you'll find yourself evangelizing because you're ignorant. Look at Luke as he writes in Acts chapter 1. What Jesus began to teach and to do. And it's our job to continue doing what Jesus was doing. We're supposed to pick up where he left off. Can I ask you a question? Have we done that? Are we doing that? Are we willing to do that? You know, perhaps God is speaking to you this morning. Perhaps he's talking to you. You say, Brother Josh, I don't know what you're talking about when it comes to this church thing. And I don't know what you're talking about when you're talking about that, that individual believer thing. But I know what you're talking about when you talk about the family. And that family thing touches me. And I've been praying for my children to come to God. What can I learn from that? Well, number one is you need to come back to church today. And perhaps today is the day you need to repent. And today is the day you need to come home and say, I need to go to where the Father is. And when I get to where the Father is, we're going to find the Son. It's time for you to get there and talk to Jesus about your child. But perhaps you can say, Brother Josh, that family thing's really neat, but the individual thing's what really spoke to me. I'm an individual believer, and I've been walking away from God, and I thought Jesus was with me. But just like Mary and Joseph, I started looking around, and I can't find them. I went to my friends, to my family. I went to everybody, and they all said, I don't know where Jesus is. Perhaps he's here. Perhaps he's there. Perhaps he's over there. You know what Mary and Joseph had to do? They had to go back to church to find Jesus. Guess what, Christian? Would you be willing to come back to church this morning? I'm not talking about coming to sit in the pew. I'm talking about coming, giving your heart back to Jesus Christ, repenting. I'm talking about renewing and rededicating your heart to Jesus Christ. Perhaps you say, Brother Josh, that church thing really spoke to me because I know we make up the church. And sometimes I'm the one 
who doesn't want to be united. Because I'm afraid what happens when we get united. I don't like to see us ignited. When we're ignited, I know the burn. See, the burn works two ways. If we don't do anything with the burn, it burns us up, doesn't it? It'll burn all the way down and burn your hand. But if you do something with the burn, you set something up on fire. Well, then, I guess the best way to say it is the monkey's off your back, isn't it? Bless you in the name of the Lord. You know what happens when you light a match? It's either going to burn out or you're going to light something else with it. When the church gets united, it gets ignited. And when it gets ignited, it's supposed to get excited. And when it gets excited, you will find yourself doing what Jesus did. We're going to pick up what Jesus left off. Did you read that in John 14, 12? Did you read that? Jesus said, I'm going to my Father, so you're going to do greater things than I did. Greater things. There are people right now who are dead in their sins, who need Jesus Christ. There are people who are dying at an alarming rate without Jesus Christ. And most of us say, well, better them than me. And we're supposed to be saying, they need Jesus. So, church, perhaps that's how God spoke to you this morning. Time for you to come back and say, God, okay, I can unite. Okay, I can ignite. I have a hard time getting excited. When I get excited, I usually meet somebody called the devil. And let me tell you, the devil's been working here in Robinson Avenue. He's been moving about. He's been attacking folks. He's been bringing things around. And all you got to do, if you don't know the truth, all you got to do is rebuke him in the name of Jesus. Put your armor on and stand tall. When those, when those fiery temptations and trials are over, you're going to find out that Jesus Christ is the victor. Amen? Time for that. It's time for us to stand up and say, No! the devil. He's been reaching out to everybody scambling around here. He's been trying to bring sickness. He's been trying to bring uh, ill repute. He's been trying to bring all kinds of things. And you know what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. He is a mighty and strong tower. The righteous run into him and they are saved. So, Pastor said, Josh, I want to unite. I want to ignite. And then I want to find myself excited. When you find yourself excited, you will find yourself around your life. That is the mission of the church. Somewhere down the line, we got sidetracked. We thought the mission of the church was to save the whales. Well, the mission of the church is not to combat uh, global warming either. The mission of the church is to make more Christians. That is all the church is supposed to do. If we will focus back on what Christ has called us to do and what Christ has entrusted us to do, we will find ourselves in a brand new passion, crawling to the cross like Jesus. Crawling. What do I need to do? Is that where you're at right now? Then I want to invite you to come. Give your heart to Jesus. Surrender it to Jesus. Not just your heart, your will. Everything. We're going to have a word of prayer. And if He's spoken to you this morning, would you be willing to come? Would you be willing to surrender and repent? Let's pray together. Father, we come to now in Jesus' holy and righteous name. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray, Lord, your word will weigh heavy in our hearts and our lives. And I pray, Lord, if there be anybody who needs to come to know your personal Lord and Savior, that today would be the day. And I pray, Lord, if there be any Christian that has walked away, that today would be the day they come back saying, Jesus, where are you? And they will hear, Lord, that you've always been there. I also pray, Father God, if there be any in the church who need to be united, who need to be ignited, to become excited. Would you let today be that day, Father God, that we pick up the passion of Christ and we love the lost like it's supposed. We give you the praise, honor, and glory, even now, in Jesus' holy and righteous name. We come as we sing, living for Jesus. Would you come this morning? Come on. And now be the time that today be that day. Come on. Living for Jesus, the life that is true. Come on.
Y'all know Brother Moses. He's been coming for a long time. Moses comes this morning and he says, I'm rededicated to giving my heart back to Jesus. You're going to support him in his decision and pray for him. Would you say amen? amen? That sounds wonderful to me, brother. And I want you to know, you've got a church family here who loves you and is already praying for you. Get yourself plugged in and be a part of that. They're willing and they're able to take you. Amen. Thank you, Brother Moses. God bless you. Church, some of you may not know Sister Donna, but I've known Sister Donna for a while. And so she has come this morning, and she decided that she wants to rededicate her life to Jesus Christ as well. She's born again. She's blood-bought. She's redeemed. She says, I am ready to come back home to Jesus. She also wants to unite with our church by statement of faith. If you'll support her in that, would you say amen? Amen. If you're going to pray for her, would you say amen? Amen. That sounds unanimous to me, God bless your heart. So, uh, as we dismiss, make sure you get with Brother Moses. Make sure you get with Sister Donna and tell them you're loving them and praying for them. And you're going to add them to your prayer list. And if there's anything you can do, make sure you let them know that. In the meantime, let's close in a word of prayer. Do we have any last minute prayer requests, questions, or comments for we go? Anybody? That's right. Uh, uh, thank you. Those of y'all may not know, um, Casper's family is uh, in, in some tough times at the moment. So please be in prayer for them. I'm not sure I can share all the details, but please be in prayer for the Catholic family. Anybody else have anything? If not, let's close in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask Brother Chris, would you close in a word of prayer for this?